Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, September 17th, we're studying Proverbs chapter 13, verses 1 through 25. Solomon continues to speak words of wisdom that will be heard and heeded by a wise son. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor David Vandercook. Pastor Vandercook serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumel, Arkansas. Pastor Vandercook, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Uh, good to be with you. As we get started this morning, Pastor Vandercook, give us some opening thoughts on the book of Proverbs. We're in that long middle section where we get these short one-liners, two-liners. We usually see them one at a time. We're going to take a big, long look at them here today. Uh, what's some introductory material we need to know going in? Well, yeah, it sometimes seems like whenever you read these these sections of Proverbs like this that, um, you know, they kind of just, uh, you, you could almost put them in any order. Uh, you know, you could kind of write them on a slip of paper and then put all the slips of paper inside a hat and just draw them out and just put them in order as you put them through there. So there's not, doesn't some, doesn't always seem to be much rhyme or reason as far as um, the order in which they, uh, they go at least past a couple verses anyway. But um, the other thing about the Proverbs is that quite often we read them. Uh, you honestly don't even really have to be a Christian in order to agree with the basic idea in a lot of them. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes people will think, well, the Proverbs are not particularly uh, spiritual in nature, I suppose. But uh, the fact is that really, uh, as a Christian, we have a different understanding of the Proverbs, and, and we really can't properly understand them uh, unless we are um, unless we are a Christian. Uh, I mean, they're, they're pretty much all law, uh, but the gospel is there in a little bit less obvious way. You know, we have those three uses of the law, the curb, the mirror, and the guide that we um, that we talk about whenever we um, uh, go through catechesis. Um, and, uh, you know, you have the, the, the curb, the mirror, and the guide. And primarily here you have the curb and the guide at work, you know, that first use of the law and that third use of the law. But the third use of the law, of course, uh, only applies to uh, Christians, and you can't have the third use of the law without the gospel, because the third use of the law tells us how to live as Christians. Well, in order to live as a Christian, uh, you have to be one who is redeemed by Christ the crucified. So, uh, you know, so the, the gospel is, is there, perhaps not explicitly, but it's, it's there simply because we can't um, live as Christians without being a Christian, first of all. Um, and then, uh, you know, if that makes sense. No, it, it does. The The fact that, I mean, Solomon does write these to Christians. You go back to chapter 1, that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. I might have said that backwards. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, I think is how it's worded there in chapter 1. Yeah. And it's a, it's a theme that comes up multiple times, particularly in that first 
section of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9, that he comes back to this idea of the fear of the Lord over and over again. That's the true way to apply these Proverbs, to use these Proverbs, is as Christians. And so, I mean, you're right, non-Christians may, in some sense, live according to these Proverbs in an outward way, but they can't know the, the true depth of them, they can't fully apply them apart from the fear of the Lord. Right. Yeah, and there's this idea, you know, again of, uh, and we'll see this contrast kind of in the uh, in the verses that we're going to read of of the righteous uh, versus the unrighteous, and what makes a person righteous. Well, if you ask a Christian that question, they're going to answer that they're righteous because of Christ, and that uh, because of Christ's righteousness, uh, you know, credited to them. Uh, whereas uh, in a worldly sense, they're going to look at righteousness and say, what makes a person righteous? Well, their their outward good works is what makes a person righteous. It's according to their works. So it's a, it's a different answer depending on who you're asking that question to. Right. Christians would have the fullness of the answer of what righteousness means. I mean, we would, we would certainly recognize that there is righteousness that we— do live according to that there is a righteousness right. that we you know exhibit toward our neighbor but as christians and this i think is where the the third use of the law comes in is is that we recognize that the only way that we can truly do that in a god-pleasing sense of the of the way is if if we start with faith in christ the fear of the lord and so christians have the fullness of this righteousness whereas non-christians have an idea of what righteousness looks like before my neighbor but get it totally backwards when it comes to righteousness before God. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're of course, going to understand that good works can't be good uh, unless they are um, uh, unless they are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, unless they're, they are covered in Christ. You know, whereas the, the, the non-Christian, the, um, uh, the pagan, perhaps even, I guess a non-Christian is a pagan, uh, they're going to understand good works just in a civil sense, that's right. Right. And so, I mean, with with that, maybe if, I'm going to try to kind of flip the question just a little bit to consider it from this angle. If if there are pagans, non-Christians, who can understand that civil righteousness that is found in the book of Proverbs, and Christians know the fullness of the of the righteousness, why do Christians need a book like Proverbs? I mean, as you said, it's it's almost all law. What, why is this an important book for Christians to read and take to heart? Well, because Christians still need instruction. Um, it's not like the Christian automatically knows how to do right and wrong simply because they're a Christian. Uh, we remain um, saint and sinner at the same time. We, we continually need to be uh, instructed on what good works look like and what they are uh, and, and how we ought to live. Uh, and that's where Proverbs uh, teaches us and continues to instruct us and inform us, is that it, it shows us what it means to uh, live as God's people. So with that, let's go ahead and, and take a look at this chapter and see what kind of wisdom Solomon gives us for living as God's people. This, as you pointed out, Pastor Vandercook, is is a bit... Uh, all over the place, if I can, if I can say it that way, that it does go back and forth from one topic to the next, sometimes in ways that maybe we can't always figure out why. But there are plenty of connections to be drawn. So I'm going to read about half of the chapter for us on this side of the break, and then we'll pick up the other half on the other side. So Proverbs chapter 13. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 to start. 
A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. From the fruit of his mouth a man eats what is good, but the desire of the treacherous is for violence. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. One pretends to be rich, yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor, yet has great wealth. The ransom of a man's life is his wealth, but a poor man hears no threat. The light of the righteous rejoices, but the lamp of the wicked will be put out. By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. That's verses 1 through 12 of chapter 13. So, Pastor Vandercook, the first verse of the chapter, a wise son hears his father's instruction, takes us back to themes that were all throughout those first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. We saw ten addresses to sons that Solomon writes. In fact, when this section opens in chapter 10, you get a very similar idea about a wise son. So let's talk there again. I mean, we got issues of the fourth commandment that come into play here. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, you know, the fourth commandment, which teaches us to honor our, our father and our mother, that uh, it may be well with us and that uh, we may live long on the earth. Um, you know, certainly comes into play as we as we talk about how we ought to hear what our uh, what our father teaches us. Now, interestingly, in this verse, uh, there is no verb in that first half of the verse. Actually, in the mm-hmm. in the Hebrew, uh, the word "hears" is not actually even there. Um, it simply says, "A wise son, his father's instruction," um, which is is interesting um and really kind of makes it um uh carry a little bit more punch there as well because it's not only just the idea of hearing his father's instruction but he's he's like the product of his father's instruction his father's instruction has has actually produced him and produced who he is um you know so certainly the the word hears is not necessarily you know wrong uh but it, it helps us understand the the verse a little bit better but uh you know it's it's a little bit more um, more powerful, a little more open ended. If we were just to leave it as uh, uh, the wise son is the product of his father's instruction, that's you know that's that's kind of indicative of uh, the way that it is with um, parents and their children in general. Is that our children are the products of what we do, uh, you know, what we and how we instruct them and how we teach them to live. Um, and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, the fourth commandment definitely is in play in this whole thing. Um, and really, uh, throughout all of the times that, um, you know, that Solomon speaks of the wise son listening to his father, uh, you know, that's that's what children ought to do, how children ought to respond to authority and how any of us ought to respond to authority. Mm-hmm. So that that the way you pointed out the Hebrew there, I think is very helpful that the, the father's instruction produces the son where, I mean, you know, to, to quote another proverb that it's not in the book of Proverbs, but perhaps we know, you know, the apple does not fall far from the tree is, is something that we still say. 
that we are products of what our parents have taught us, which I, I mean, certainly, and, and Solomon, at least the way that it's given here, it's directed toward the son. But I, I do think that recognizing that also has something to say to those who are fathers, to those who find themselves in those different other positions of authority as well, that they would seek to instruct truly and correctly and, and faithfully, ultimately. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, in, in the same way that, you know, when we look at the uh, the, the fourth commandment, uh, you know, applies to parents and those in authority as well, uh, with the idea that, hey, you know, your, your, your children, those that are under your authority, whoever it is, whether it's children or just people in general that are under your authority, um, they are to um, honor, serve, and obey you, love, and cherish you, and so forth. Well, if you're going to be honored, served and obeyed, loved and cherished, then you probably ought to try to be somebody who's worthy of being loved, honored, served, served, obeyed, and cherished, you know. Um, whereas, uh, you know, yeah, so I mean, it kind of, it does, it, it has instruction for the for the one that's in authority as well. And I think, too, I mean, just to carry that thought a little further with with the the son being the product of his father, that even when there's no intentional instruction. The book of Proverbs is intentionally giving instruction from a father to a son. Even when that is absent, still the son is the product of the father's instruction or lack thereof. That that whatever the yeah. father I mean does that does that make sense, Pastor Vandercook? Oh yeah, yeah, no definitely. Um, you know, that uh yeah, we're the products of our we are the products of our parents. Um in in both senses, right? I mean, we have we have positive things that we gain from them, and negative things that we gain from them, and and likewise, that of course is uh, indicting on uh, on on us as as parents as well. That uh, to recognize the fact that we can both positively and negatively influence uh, those that we have authority over. Mm. Right. I mean, and again, that that's the other side of the fourth commandment. And then this, too, I mean, also applies beyond, I think, the relationship of a father and son in the, in the nuclear family, but also in broader application in terms— I mean, I think the, the application to the life of, of a pastor and his congregation is, is applied here as well, and, and other forms of authority, that any time there is instruction being given, wisdom listens— scoffers just ignore it. Yeah. Yeah, and in fact the um you know the word there for rebuking is is even the idea of it doesn't matter how much you rebuke or how much uh um uh how much you reprimand or so forth. It's a very strong word. Uh the the scoffer isn't going to listen to it. It doesn't matter how sharp the rebuke is. Um so uh, yeah, yeah. So the what we hear then this instruction that we would hear and and take in that that produces us then actually does produce from us well words and that's where where Solomon goes next again there's there's not always a, a you know this is the reason that this verse comes after the of this one right. but I, I do think there is a, a bit of a connection between verses one and then two and three which do speak to a very familiar topic from this section of the book of Proverbs, what we have to say. There's this, the fruit of the man's mouth. Take us into verses two and three. Yeah, the, you know, I, I think a, a verse like um, we find in Matthew 12, um, 
uh, well, I, I, actually, I was thinking of Matthew 15, where uh, where Jesus talks about what defiles a person. You know, you've got the uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are, um, you know, making sure they do all the ceremonial washings so that they don't put something that's defiles in their mouth. And uh, the uh, you know, and Jesus says actually, it's what comes out of the mouth is what defiles a person. Um, uh, you know, and then Ma- in Matthew 12, Jesus talks about how we'll be uh, judged for what we say, basically, what comes out of our mouth. Uh, you know, and words are words are very powerful. Um, you know, there's the old, uh, what was the little playground rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, the fact is that words really do hurt, and quite often they hurt a lot worse than um, than the, the physical things that, that we see in life. But uh uh, but words are um, words are powerful. Words reflect what's in the heart, and words indeed um, can hurt. And really, kind of the 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 way that the mouth comes up here is it really, uh, you know, especially in verse three, the idea that uh, he who opens his mouth opens wide his lips uh, comes to ruin. Um, quite often, we're we're better off guarding our mouth, that is, keeping our mouth shut, uh, <laughs> than we are. Uh, speaking when we don't have anything uh, fruitful to say, to, to borrow from verse 2 there, the fruit of the mouth of a man eats what is good. Uh, you know, so basically what we consume is what ends up coming out of our mouth. If we consume that which is not good, then what comes out of our mouth probably isn't going to be good. But in general, the rule of thumb seems to be that we ought to be a slow to speak uh, rather than uh, quick to quick to blurt out whatever is in our head. Mm. I was I was actually just doing some some catechesis here in the congregation not that long ago. We were talking about the commandments and and that was one of the conclusions we came to when it came to the eighth commandment, which deals with the matter of false witness, that that often the keeping of the eighth commandment simply means don't say anything. You know, I mean, and again, that, that maybe sound very, I don't mean that to sound trite, but but this is, you know, whoever is, is slow to speak, James says, picking up on, on much of what's here in the Proverbs. And I think that, you know, you brought up that that playground rhyme, which I, I just, I don't know how it, it's a thing, because it's it's not true. But we do, yeah. we often we often open our lips with the intent to hurt some with, with our words. But what ends up happening is that, that very action of, of just opening our, our lips over and over again to hurt, it, it comes back upon us, right? I mean, that's the verse, three, whoever opens his, or he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Constant talking and talking and talking ends up leading to ruin, keeping our mouths shut. And again, I think so that we can listen, that brings life. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't just, yeah, it doesn't just ruin those that we speak against or for it, it comes back on us. That's right. Uh, it, it affects uh, everybody involved. Mm, yeah. Right. In verse 4, we meet one of the characters of the book of Proverbs. It's it's not a, a narrative like the Gospels, for example, where you know, you've got Jesus and Peter and, and so forth. But in the book of Proverbs, there are these figures that come up multiple times. We have the sluggard returning in verse 4, this this teaching concerning laziness in, in work or diligence, on the other hand. What is the, what is the, what's going on with the sluggard here, and, and what's the opposite? Well, the, the sluggard craves things. You know, he's lazy. He's lazy, and he wants things. And 
and he gets nothing. And the reason he doesn't get anything is because he's lazy. Uh, and this really is kind of re- uh, reflective of the what we te- what we uh, how we understand the seventh commandment in stealing. Usually, you know, the first at first glance we look at the seventh commandment, we're like, well, okay, that means taking something from somebody. And I don't see, how, and maybe at first glance we don't see how laziness fits in with that. But it, uh, we have the stealing of of time in particular if we are, um, you know, stealing from an employer if we're lazy on the job, or um, you know. Even uh, stealing from time with our family because we're lazy at uh, at work, and so work ends up taking longer than it should, or something like that. Um, and here, the sluggard uh, craves things and gets nothing. And the reason he doesn't get anything is because, again, he's lazy. And and the way that the Lord provides is not just by um, uh, is not immediately. That is outside of means, but rather the Lord provides through means. He gives us the ability to work for that which we have in the world, um, you know, the, the gifts that he gives us, both the first article gifts and, and the things we see in the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, too, you know, the daily bread uh, that we have. Uh, but it's not that the Lord just kind of zaps that to us on a silver platter. Uh, rather, he gives us the means by which to obtain those things. And that's the that's the contrast that's there in verse 4, the soul of the diligent is richly supplied, you know, that the reason why he's richly supplied is, well, because he, he worked, uh, and he was not lazy. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a it's an indictment against the laziness there in verse four. Mm. I want to, I would connect verse four also to the ninth and 10th commandments concerning coveting that the, the sluggard is, is constantly craving. He's, he's constantly coveting after those things that he doesn't have, but he gets nothing. Whereas the diligent one who is who is working, doing what God has given him to do, living within those means that the Lord has already given, he's content with his station in life, he's richly supplied. He receives that daily bread with thanksgiving. And the I see a bit of irony there between the sluggard on the one hand who's craving everything but has nothing, and the diligent on the other hand who is contentedly working as God has given him. And he has all the riches he needs. Yeah, and of course that you know the the ninth and tenth commandments, of course, drive us right back to the first commandment. Mm-hmm. And you shall have no other gods. What is the what is the god of the the sluggard here? Well, it's all the stuff he doesn't have. Just like you said, you know that lack of contentment, this constant fixation on what he doesn't have. Whereas, yeah, again, just you know, again, just kind of echo what you said there. The the um, uh, the one who works, who is diligent. Um, he he has all of these things, uh, but he's but yet he's still he's still content. You know he's not fixated on the things that uh, you know the daily bread as the um, the daily bread that he receives, but rather he's he simply receives that daily bread with thanksgiving and recognizes God as the source of it and is thankful for it. Staying with that topic concerning riches, the the needs of this life, daily bread, verses 7 and 8 both mention the idea of of riches and poverty. How do those verses connect to what we've been talking about so far? Yeah, um, you have have this idea of uh, one pretending to be rich yet having nothing. Um, What that's going to speak to, at least what comes to mind whenever I hear that, is that uh, the idea that somebody wants to appear like they're rich when they're not, 
which is usually going to lead to a mismanagement of what you have, uh, you know, which which can lead to just kind of a, a mismanagement of God's gifts, which again is a uh, seventh commandment type issue as well, because it uh, it deals with um, uh, God has given you and squandering it. Um, and and on the other hand, you may also have one that pretends to be poor because he's trying to take advantage of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because if people see that he's poor, then they'll give him things, and then he'll get things that uh, he doesn't really deserve or need. Um, but but it allows him to to live in that way. So, um, see, so yeah, there. And then in verse eight, you have this uh, this ransom of a man's life is his wealth. Um, Whenever you have a lot of things, uh, whenever you have a lot of things, you you end up worrying about those things. They become uh, gods to you, and they can actually become um, impediments to uh, to to a peaceful life. Simply because now you have to spend all types of time and energy trying to protect all of the stuff that you have, and and making sure that uh, it's not it's not taken. Uh, but the poor man. Um, uh, doesn't have that threat, doesn't have that worry that comes with having much uh, in possession. So, uh, so yeah, there's a lot of talk of rich and poor there, and kind of some uh, some opposites there. And uh, and you know, I think it's interesting that it doesn't really say that being rich is good or or bad, or poor is good or bad, uh, but rather it just talks about the reality that comes along with either having wealth or not having wealth, uh, and also. Um, um, just being honest uh, with who you are and using your wealth wisely. Mm, yeah, I, th- I think that's a, a good point to make. There's not really an, an indictment one way or the other that rich is good or rich is bad or, or poor is good, poor is bad. That, that's not really there, but rather a simple recognition of what reality is like and and the dangers that are presented in, in either case. It, you, you brought it back to the first commandment earlier, and I think that's I mean, that's a good place to go here, too, is, is that rich or poor, that those first commandment issues of, of where are you putting your trust come into play. And and to, to see how that also then just plays out, very practically speaking, in a person's life, when you've got a lot of riches, that's a lot to worry about. Look at the dangers that are there. I mean, all, all of this is, is coming to bear here in, in Proverbs chapter 13. We're going to need to take a, a break here, Pastor Vandercook. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, September 17th. We're studying Proverbs chapter 13, verses 1 through 25. We've got Pastor David Vandercook with us. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumel, Arkansas. Once again, we're not going to make it to every verse in depth here in Proverbs chapter 13. So if there is a proverb that we skip or just one that you really want to know a lot about, please call the listener comment line, 314-996-1542. Leave us a message there with the proverb you want to know more about, or send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org and let us know which proverb you want to dig into deeply. And there's going to be bonus podcast material that will be available for you on kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcast, just short segments with some of our regular guests digging into one proverb at a time. So if we miss something, make sure you let us know that you want to hear more about it. Pastor Vandercook, prior to the break, we, we were digging into this theme that comes up multiple times about riches, wealth, seventh commandment issues, ninth and tenth commandment issues, and all tied to the first. The matter of wealth and riches comes up again there in verse 11. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. How does that fit into that conversation? Yeah, um, well, you know, wealth gained hastily doesn't uh, doesn't really sound as nefarious as it could. Um, there's, it, you know, anybody that's got an, uh, an ESV, I'm not sure about other translations, but I'm looking at mine right now, and there's, there's a footnote down there at the bottom that says wealth gained, and it, there's a footnote number four there that says, or by fraud. Um, so there is an, there's, an, uh, there, there's, the, um, there's a hinting here that, that wealth gained hastily is wealth that's gained dishonestly. Mm. Um, and quite often that comes along with the territory. Whenever we try and get rich, rich excuse me, get rich quick, whenever we try and gain wealth quickly, usually we're going to do whatever it takes to get that wealth quickly. And usually that means doing it on some level dishonestly. Mm. Uh, so again, this is kind of the, the dishonest means by gaining wealth. Again, uh, you know, as you said, this is a seventh commandment thing where uh, rather than gathering little by little by um, uh, by doing that, we've, we've basically done that. So dishonestly, I mean, it, it could mean a lot of different things. It could mean uh, flat out stealing. It could be, um, you know, gambling or something like that. But, uh, but all of those things would kind of play under that category of, of wealth gained uh, hastily. All right. So, so a, a deeper matter than say something like uh, to quote Benjamin Franklin, a, a penny saved is a penny earned. There's there's more to it than just you know the little by little is not only about working diligently as we said earlier, but to avoid that matter of dishonest gain, a get rich quick scheme, which again tends toward dishonesty. Those are the things that that Solomon has in mind here. Pastor Van, yeah, and that's oh, go ahead. Be... Go ahead. I, mean, I was going to say, and that's going to be born again out of, of lack of trust, out of uh, lack of fear, love, and trust in God and His provisions, because we think we got to have more right now, uh, because we are uh, we're afraid that we don't have enough. Well, where where is our fear then? Our fear is not in the one true God, but rather our our fear is uh, is is fixated on our financial situation. Mm, right. I mean, and, and that also, I think, connects then to the fourth petition that, that our Lord teaches us to pray for daily bread. What what do I need right. for today? Again, 
tied to that matter of, of trust, trusting God that each and every day, regardless of, of how little may be in my refrigerator or pantry or closet, that he's going to give me the needs of this body and life. All those things are, are tied together. Yeah, that makes me think of uh, the uh, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, uh, and they're, you know, uh, the Lord gives them manna and tells them only to collect enough for a day. And then on, on Friday, they got twice as much, and it's and some of them didn't trust that it was going to come the next day. And so they they gathered more than that, and it, it bred worms and stank. Uh, you know, so um, there is this, uh, the idea that, yeah, God really did promise that it was going to happen the next day. Uh, you know, I, on the one hand, I can kind of sympathize with those that were kind of thinking, well, is this really going to happen tomorrow or not? Um, but uh, but the fact is that uh, that God directly told them, just collect enough for today, you'll have enough. Uh, and he does that for us as well. Uh, not that we shouldn't have savings accounts or anything like that, but uh, uh, but certainly he does tell us that uh, and promise us that he will provide everything that we need to support our bodies and lives. Mm. And, and that, I mean, that connection then to the that account in Exodus is the reminder, as as Moses says in in Deuteronomy eight, that it's you know man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. The reason that the Israelite yeah. could trust every morning when he woke up there was going to be bread for them is because the Lord had promised it. And, and it, I mean, as I reflect on that account, I, I, I too sympathize with the ones that, that were, I don't know if it's going to be there or not. Particularly, I think when you get to the Sabbath and the command that's there for the Sabbath, that, you know, okay, I, you know, put yourself in the, in the shoes of the Israelite who gathered more than he should have, and, and he, it rotted the next morning. Well, then you get to the Sabbath, and, and you've got the Lord's now saying, gather two days' worth, because there's not going to be bread tomorrow. And you're thinking to yourself, but, but I, I already know what happened the last <laughs> time. You know, are you, are you pulling my leg or something, Lord? And, and I mean, yeah. I think when you put those things together, it, it goes to show that, that very point, that it's, it's, it goes to the trust. And, and what's the foundation of that? It is what the Lord speaks. And I mean, that that's where all of this wisdom that you get from Solomon in the book of Proverbs is deeper than than what you get in, in worldly wisdom from a non-Christian, which may sound very different, or, or excuse me, may sound very much the same, but it's got a completely different foundation. Right, exactly. So that, that word then actually does come up. The rest in the rest of chapter 13. So we're going to keep reading here in Proverbs 13, picking up now in verse 13. Whoever despises the word brings destruction on himself, but he who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Good sense wins favor, but the way of the treacherous is their ruin. In everything the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is honored. A desire fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but to turn away from evil is an abomination to fools. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him.
The righteous has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. That's the rest of Proverbs chapter 13, verses 13 through 25. So Pastor, Pastor Vanderkirk, in verses 13, and I think 14 as well, we get more specifically, I would say, Christian wisdom, where, where you it brings up the word of the Lord, and, and this is where wisdom truly comes from. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, the idea that uh, when you when you revere the commandment, you'll be rewarded, the second half of verse 13, um, and then also uh, the first half of 14, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, which um, you know, kind of recalls Psalm one that uh, the man who is uh, uh, the you know planted by the streams of water uh, whenever they're uh, they're in the Word of God. So uh, so yeah, we we see the value of the Lord's Word there in um, thirteen and fourteen. This is probably one of the challenges too of reading the Proverbs sometimes when we see like the second half of thirteen that I just mentioned. He who reveres the commandment will be rewarded. And it almost sounds like that means that if I keep the commandments, that means that good things are going to happen to me. Like it's a, um, like it's a, uh, a business transaction almost that, Hey, I did, I did the good thing. Now I should get the good thing in return. Kind of like, uh, Cain's offering, um, in Genesis four that, that Cain had that expectation that God owed him something or, or something like that. Um, but I think there's 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 a rather practical way of looking at this. You know, you look at the fourth commandment, where you know the first commandment with a promise that um, honor your father and your mother, that it may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. There's there's a very practical, worldly way of looking at this, in that if we keep the commandments in general, life is going to go better for us than if we don't. I mean, if I if I actually listen to what my parents and other authorities say. Uh, things are going to go better for me than if I don't. I might find myself in trouble, in jail, or something like that if I if I don't listen to my authorities. Um, you know, same thing with uh, like the fifth commandment. Well, if I don't uh, hurt my neighbor, I'll probably be I'll probably be better liked by my neighbor, and things will go better for me. Um, you know, and the list goes on and on. If I don't commit adultery, my family life is going to be a lot better than if it is if I do. Um, you know, so I, I, I think that's what I look at for, for the rewards, at least on one level is that you have that, um, uh, you know, that we revere the commandments, then, then we're rewarded, uh, simply in the sense that life just goes better for us. Does that make sense? It does. And I, I think you're right on. And this, I, it, it's something I think that is uncomfortable for Lutherans to talk about because we do want to be careful of you know, slipping into works righteousness. We definitely don't want to fall into that. And we do want to be careful of viewing it as some sort of vending machine type transaction between us and God that I, I put in my obedience and he spits out my reward or something you know, very crass like that. We want to be careful. But we we can't lose sight of what the scriptures do say. And I think you you put it very well that when we keep the commandments, when we revere them, life tends to go better. And this is in the Catechism, too. It's in the—well, you mentioned the Fourth Commandment, which is certainly there in the Catechism, but what we call the close of the commandments has this very same idea in it. You know, from Exodus chapter 20, where the Lord says that he shows love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. 
and and Luther in his explanation puts it this way that that he God promises grace and every blessing to all those who keep these commandments therefore we should also love and trust in him and gladly do what he commands we don't want to lose sight of the fact that i mean while we avoid those errors we we can't lose sight of the fact that the commandments are good keeping them is good and and when we keep them we should expect to receive good things in this life from god now we know that it's not going to be perfect one to one because this life is tainted by sin and so, you know, ultimately the reward that comes is is an eternity in the resurrection. But we we never want to lose sight of the temporal effects of all this as well. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I I, I, def, I certainly agree. Yeah, and and you know, of course, we're always going to keep those you know justification, sanctification, in order that um, our sanctification, our good works, are a product of uh, of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Right, and again, that goes back to the the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of all of this, and and, right. and that's the difference in the keeping of the commandments between the Christian and the non Christian. Whereas the non Christian might be looking for some sort of you know, vending machine transaction where where they put in obedience and get good things from God. That's not at all the way that the Christian looks at it, and and that is a, a big difference in in the way that we look at and apply these Proverbs. And we, we can't lose sight of that. That's a matter, like you said, of keeping justification and sanctification in their proper places. So, Pastor Vandercook, let's see. Oh, that's a lot of Third Commandment stuff. Let's look at—this uh, is, you know, this is just kind of fun to, to, to look through the Proverbs like this. It, it really is a, a refreshing thing. Let's take a look—let's go to, to verse 16, which I, I think also— has something to do, say, with the third commandment. But the, you know, in everything, the prudent acts with knowledge, but the fool flaunts his folly. You, you've got this group for the third commandment. How do, how do you see the third commandment here? Yeah. Uh, and as, as I look at it, I'm trying to remember exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, but, but no, the, um, uh, the prudent acts with knowledge. That is, uh, you know, when, when the, pru- the prudent is going to act with the knowledge of the Word of God in mind, mm. whenever they act, the things that they do in their life are going to be uh, governed and guided by what the Word of God says. Uh, you know, um, whereas the fool is going to flaunt his folly. In other words, the fool who hasn't, uh, who hasn't listened to the Word of God, all he has to flaunt is folly. He doesn't have that wisdom that comes from above to help guide him in the way that he acts. Uh, so, so yeah, it's just the opposite of, of, of where, where is the guidance coming from? Uh, it's either coming from above through the knowledge of God's Word, or, or else it's coming from your own head, which is just folly. So, yeah. I, I don't even want to take maybe 17. Now, 17, I, I think, could go in a number of directions, but I think it, there's a third commandment application there, too, or maybe maybe it's a second commandment. I want to apply it to, to preachers of the Word. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a faithful envoy brings healing. And, and the, the comparison there between the two, you've got the wicked messenger on the one hand, or a faithful envoy brings healing. I, as I was, I was looking at this verse, I was, I was reminded of the uh, don't blame the messenger is a is a phrase that's out there. You know, when when you bring bad news, don't blame the messenger. But I don't I don't think that's exactly what's going on here in verse seventeen. Rather, the the key is, do you repeat the message faithfully? 
that's the one who brings healing. And and in, I mean, at least, and maybe this is just me reading it as a pastor and applying it in that way, but it is it is the pastor who speaks faithfully that brings healing, not the one who changes the words somehow to fit whatever he thinks will work best. And of course, that that is also true, you know, what we were talking about earlier with the fathers who, who instruct their children that they would do so faithfully, not according to their own devices, but according to what the, the Lord has given. Well, I like the application you're making to the office of the ministry. I think that that's uh, that's appropriate. Um, the because you know again, and this this might be another instance where people read it and say, well, that's not actually what happens. You know, at least not the first half. A wicked messenger falls into trouble. Unfortunately, so often we see the the false prophets of our world seem to um, uh, seem to prosper even. Um, but uh, but you know the fact is that ultimately. The wicked messenger will fall into trouble, and those who listen to his message will fall into trouble as well. Uh, but, but contrasting that with the faithful envoy who brings healing—that is, brings the, the true healing of the gospel, uh, the true healing of the forgiveness of sins—you uh, know, that, that's a good contrast there. Because the wicked messenger isn't bringing that healing; they're bringing um, rather um, trouble on the people, uh, leading them away from the truth of God's word. Right, yeah. The the example of Jeremiah and the false prophets of his day come to mind. That the, the false prophets of Jeremiah's day were were preaching something that sounded really good, but there was actually no healing in it. Whereas Jeremiah was preaching the destruction that was coming upon Jerusalem in a short amount of time, which didn't make people feel that great, but it was the truth and and brought healing because it brought people to repentance and faith. I think, I mean, understanding verse 17 like that from the perspective of the one speaking the word, verse 18 then goes to the one who would hear the word. Would you ignore the instruction and so receive poverty and disgrace, or would you listen and then be honored? And and once again, Pastor Vandercook, there's another example of it might not look that from look like that from a worldly perspective, that the one who listens to the word of God is honored. But when we look at it from the divine perspective— these these words are definitely true. Yeah, and even that uh, that that yeah, and, and and you know you also look at that and from a worldly from a purely worldly perspective, uh, you know if you take the, the spiritual aspect out of it altogether, you could look at this as being another instance where we're talking about worldly wealth, um, which I guess it's true in that sense too. Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. Mm. That is, you're given that guidance for. Uh, how to live, uh, and you choose to ignore it. You do that at your own. You, you do that to your own consequence. Um, but yeah, whenever you look at it in light of the Word of God, where and I think uh, if you if you pair it up with seventeen, like you said there, yeah, if you're going to ignore the instruction, poverty and disgrace are going to come upon you. Now, the poverty there then we're not that we're talking about is not poverty as in uh, worldly wealth, but rather poverty as in. Uh, I lack faith, you know, the poverty or lack of, uh, of of saving faith at that point is what what comes in disgrace, and so it's yeah, you know, you look at maybe the maybe the the uh, what am I trying to say here the the application for the here and now versus the eternal application of this, um, you know, when will that rep- when will when will the honoring when will the honor come for the one who heeds the reproof? Well, that's not coming till the last day. 
you know, uh, whenever whenever the honor comes and uh, we receive the crown of righteousness on the last day. Um, uh, whereas we might actually see in this world that the one who listens to the word of God isn't honored at all. Uh, you know, um, so that, so we have that, that constant focus on, uh, yes, we, we give thanks to God for the blessings he gives us in this life, but, but ultimately our focus is always on anticipating the life of the world to come. Right. Yeah. As, as we see him fulfill these promises in a temporal way, we should certainly give thanks and we shouldn't be surprised either because it's not always the case that, that a, a Christian is dishonored for listening to the Word of God. There are many examples where a Christian is honored. And so when we see the temporal blessing, we should give thanks, but always remember that that any temporal fulfillment is always pointing us forward to that eternal fulfillment in the resurrection. Here in, in verse 18, you, you have a bit of a return to some of those fourth commandment issues that we were talking about with the very first verse, the idea of listening to instruction and and um, using rebuke, reproof, which, which then... I think, propels us forward into verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. This would be the verse where that familiar uh, maxim comes from that I think is still used today, spare the rod and spoil the child. Notice that the spoil the child part isn't actually here, but the spare the rod part is. Uh, What does this proverb have to say for us? Well, it's the importance of discipline. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, um, uh, quite frankly, discipline, um, uh, you know, and, and of course, it's kind of a, a touchy subject, I guess, in the, in the 21st century. I think everybody who disciplines their kid, uh, especially when we do it in public, we're always afraid about it. We always want to look up after we do it and see who was looking, who saw mm-hmm. me do that, um, whether it's, whether it's uh, you know, whatever type of discipline it is, just because people get the wrong idea. And we live in that kind of fear, unfortunately, of of disciplining our child. Uh, but, you know, I mean, again, this, this is something that's observable in the world. Um, um, people that, uh, you know, people that grow up in households where they don't have um, two parents who, who raise them in the, uh, uh, you know, who, who raise them according to the word of God, who, um, who discipline them, uh, that, they end up having the deck stacked against them, I guess you could say, you know, uh, they, they end up having trouble in life in general. Um, but, uh, but here, you know, uh, you know, Solomon's very clear about the importance of, uh, of disciplining, uh, and discipline is done out of love. Uh, it's not done in anger. Uh, it's not done in hatred, but rather it's done out of love because the, uh, a person, uh, a, a man disciplines his son because he wants him to grow, uh, grow into maturity, and he wants him to be successful, um, you know, and he wants him to fear the Lord. Right. I mean, and, and actually, it, it, the way that Solomon puts it, you know, that that to not discipline is actually hatred for the child. Yes. But but yeah, very short. I mean that, and that's that's the opposite of of what we would would think. Yeah, I mean the the example that I I often it's it's pretty simple, but you know just imagine that that your young child is playing with sharp knives. What are you going to do? You're going to say no, don't do that, and you're going to take the knife away. That's discipline, and you do that because you love your child, because you don't want your child to 
to be cut and, and injured very badly with the sharp knives. And I mean, you, you'd look at it, an example like that, and usually it, it sort of opens your eyes. Like, oh, yeah, discipline is loving. But but yeah. we don't we don't often realize that. And, and this is certainly a, a helpful corrective. And I think it, it does pair nicely with the beginning of the, the chapter, which certainly has to do with the wise son listening. And this is now the wise father, the loving father, disciplining. Those two things go hand in hand. And, and to neglect either is to, I mean, it's to hurt both sides of, of the relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It made me think of, uh, for some reason, this popped into my head. I don't, have you seen the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I have, I know yes. It's off topic, yeah. And uh, I forget, it's been so long since I've seen it, but there's 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 one kid that's about, I mean, the kids on there are, are widely undis- wildly undisciplined, you know, of course, and that's a big problem in the, that's kind of illustrated by uh, by the original story that, that Roald Dahl wrote, you know. But, uh, uh, but anyway, you have this, uh, at one point, one of them was doing something, was about to, um, do something terrible, and Willy Wonka just kind of nonchalantly says, "No, stop! Don't do that." You know, just <laughs> just kind of not no force behind it at all. And that's kind of the picture you get behind the the undisciplined, uh, you know, child or the or the parent who who doesn't discipline. You know, is that it's it, you know, it's like you said, it's kind of a toothless discipline that doesn't really do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's no consequences for the actions, uh, but but you know, the thing they're about to do. As as you illustrated uh, very well with you know if your kid's about to play with knives or something my goodness you know yeah you're you're going to be physical and you're going to be quick to get them to stop. Mm. That's right. Yeah, I mean discipline. Again, just to make the point, that's all. Discipline is love. Lack of discipline actually is is hatred. You don't. You're not loving your child at that moment. Pastor Vandercook, right. we, we've got just about a minute here, and we've talked about a variety of topics today. Touched on several of the commandments, probably, hopefully, all of them. As we think about this chapter, the Book of Proverbs as a whole, the question keeps coming up, and I think it's important to answer: Where's Jesus? How do we see Jesus in this? With about a minute. Well, there's there is the word righteous and righteousness uh, that comes from it that appears in um, in several verses in this section and, and and occurs several places throughout the book of Proverbs and and that is that's where I always look for and where I see Christ in this is that how is it that we are righteous? How is it that a man is righteous? Well, the only way that we are righteous is because Christ makes us righteous. It's because we've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's because we continue to receive the, God, the gifts that God gives us where, he, where, uh, uh, where Christ's forgiveness, life, and salvation is delivered to us in word and sacrament. And, uh, you know, the only way that, that we can actually do the things that Proverbs tells us to do here and live the way that the book of Proverbs tells us to live is that we have been made righteous in Christ Jesus. Uh, and and that's the only way that the, the law is ultimately fulfilled. It's fulfilled in Christ, and then that righteousness is credited to us. Pastor David Vandercook is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and Shepherd of Peace Lutheran Church in Maumelle, Arkansas, helping us this morning with Proverbs chapter 13, verses 1 through 25. Pastor Vandercook, thanks for being our guest today. Glad to be here. Wisdom is found in Christ, who is our righteousness. His righteousness is credited to us. Thanks be to God that we live in that fear and trust of the Lord. 
I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.